Now, quite obviously, he is not from Indianapolis. If you noticed, he did say y'all. So I am quite sure he's probably uh, from uh, somewhere south of Indianapolis. But as we come this morning, we rejoice in the gifts that have been given in Jesus' name to further the work of missions here in North America, taking the gospel uh, to those who need it most here within our own borders. As we come this morning, we are once again in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we are going to look this morning at slip sliding away, the approaching apostasy within the days of the church. As we come this morning, I want to begin by telling you or reminding you uh, of the story of King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We see in 2 Chronicles 25 the story of an apostate king. The verse uh, In verse 2 of 2 Chronicles, it says, King Amaziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with his whole heart. He was a religious, but not spiritual man. Outwardly, he did what God commanded, but inwardly, he did not know, love, or worship the living God in spirit or in truth. In in verse 14, the uh, story continues to understand. Unfold, And it says, now after Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought the gods of the son of Seir, set them up as his gods, bowed down before them and burned incense to them. We begin in verse two with someone who does what's right on the exter- in the external, on the outside. But in his heart, he was not right with the living God. So much so that just 14 verses later, we see that he is now worshiping other gods. Indeed, this is a sorry and a sad story about a king of the nation of Israel. Indeed, this this king appears to slip, be slip sliding away and his epitaph in verse 27 of chapter 25 of Second Chronicles is recorded. Amaziah turned away from following the Lord. Perhaps one of the saddest expressions that could be used. Amaziah turned away from following the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus warned the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they were in the same vein as Amaziah by saying that they were nothing more than whitewashed tombs. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even within Jesus' own followers and the early church followers of Paul's day, we see stories of those that would fall away from the faith. There's Judas Iscariot, there's Demas, Hymenus, and Alexander are mentioned in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. All of these were people who appeared to have been walking with God. They were people who appeared on the outside to be strong in the faith, and yet they were men who fell away. They were men who forsake the living God. Why? Because they did not love the living God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their mind. 
Apostasy is a word that is not used much in our day, but apostasy is just this, a willful act of forsaking, abandoning, and falling away from the truth of the Christian faith. A willful act of forsaking, abandoning, and falling away from the truth of the Christian faith. This doesn't mean that someone was once saved and is now lost. Rather, apostasy is once someone appeared to be saved, and now we see the truth that they were never saved at all. These are people who at one time made a profession. Maybe they walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. Maybe even got baptized. These are people who went back to their jobs and started talking about what a wonderful worship service they had been to. How great God is and what He has done on their behalf. These are people who perhaps even joined a Bible-believing church. Indeed, I know some who were seminary graduates who were working and active within the ministry of Jesus Christ. But now they have drifted away. Drifted away from the Lord. Deliberately turning upon the gospel. They may have become ensnared in a cult or engaged by worldly values or have fallen into moral problems. But the issue at the end of the day is that they have refused and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ by the lives that they have lived. They are no longer living as Christians. And if you think such a thing can never happen to you, let me give you the words of Scripture. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. Indeed, we're all vulnerable and we are all at war with a cunning and deceptive enemy that is seeking to distract us and deter us from following Christ. We are are to guard ourselves against uh, the slippery slope of sliding away from God by trusting in the gospel in every moment, in every day, in every way. We are to trust God To surrender our lives wholly to Him so that He might live through us. And thereby, we might testify to the truthfulness of the gospel. But let us be warned. There is a real danger in slip sliding away. There is a real danger in us turning and refusing and rejecting the gospel that we once said we embraced. Why? Because we see it in the testimony of Scripture. We need to be waiting, we need to be watching, and we need to be working as we live out our lives for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, and let's read the warning that Paul gives to the church here in this passage. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, The word of the Lord reads as follows. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God 
and of prayer. Father, we come to you now asking that you would sanctify our lives. Father, that you would set us apart for you and for your kingdom. Father, that we would be those who would not fall away, but Father, those who would last, those who would endure, those who would honor you and glorify you with every moment, with every work, with every word of our lives. Father, may you lead us and guide us in in this time. May we study your word diligently and apply it to our heart, Father, so that we go out differently than we came in. Lord, we ask these things now, and as always, we pray that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here in this passage that we are to worship God for His goodness and grace as we guard ourselves against false teachers and their false teaching. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth, worshiping Him for His goodness and His grace as we guard ourselves against false teachers and their false teaching. Indeed, we understand that we need to be people who are on guard because there are many who slip in, who try to manipulate the gospel, turn it just a little bit, try to bring us to, to trust in someone and something other than Jesus Christ. But we must be people who know the gospel, who believe the gospel, and whose behavior is impacted by the gospel. We must be people who are founded and grounded in the work and person of Jesus Christ, trusting in no one or nothing else. And as we come this morning, we need to set in our minds that we are going to be people who worship God, who celebrate all of His goodness, all of His grace within our lives as we guard ourselves against those who attempt us to fall away. Now, in this passage, we see both a problem and a perspective for how to deal with the later days. We see, first of all, the problem of these latter days. And what is the problem of these latter days? The problem of these latter days is the problem of apostasy. The problem of apostasy, that there are some that will fall away. Indeed, Paul has spent the last two chapters explaining and expounding the conduct worthy of the gospel that is to be present in the church of the living God if it is to be a pillar in support of the truth. Indeed, if we are to be a pillar in support, a buttress for God and His work in this world, listen, we must be people whose conduct, whose behavior reflects the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must be. And after laying out the order, the structure, and the conduct of the church, now Paul comes back and he warns this young preacher boy, Timothy, and the church at Ephesus to be waiting and watching to defend the gospel in the church against false teachers and their flawed teachings that will tempt some to fall away from the faith. As Paul begins his teaching today, what does he say first there in in verse 1? But the Spirit explicitly says. He begins with the statement, the Spirit explicitly says. So he wants you to understand, it's not Paul and what he thinks. It is what the Spirit of God has said that he is relating to the readers. And he wants to make sure we understand what the Spirit is saying. And what what was it that the Spirit says? That there will be some who fall away. 
He wants to make sure that the recipients and readers of the letter, uh, this letter to the early church, understand that at times there will be attacks on the truth and on the true church that come not from outside within the world, but come from inside within the church. We would never have that, would we? Because we're all pure and perfect. This is a perfect church, right? Never have any problems, never have any disagreements. Nobody ever gets upset over anything. I mean, we're just just pictures of perfection, right? No, we're not. We've got just as many problems as anybody else. But the reality is, what he is saying is sometimes attacks come not from outside of the church, but from within the church. When people want to go after their own way and do their own things for their own purposes. He wants to make sure the reader knows that this is not contrary or contradictory to what the Holy Spirit has said before. In fact, what what more could he say than to you he has said? So in a very real way, when the Spirit says something, he has said something, he is saying something, and he forever will say the same thing, for we serve a God who does not change. So what is it that has been said before? Well, let's look at Jesus' words in the New Testament. Did Jesus ever say that there would be a time when some would fall away? Absolutely he did. In Matthew chapter 24, as he is preparing the church uh, for for the end of time, he tells the church that indeed in verse 20 or verse 10 and verse 11 that there will be some who fall away. He says it this way, at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Mark chapter 13 uh, we see in verses 20 and 21, or 21 and 22, he says, And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Says, listen, there are going to be false teachers and false prophets that say all kinds of sort of all kinds of things, and if possible, they would lead astray even the elect. Matthew chapter thirteen. We also see in verses twenty and twenty-one there that when Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, when he comes to the seed that was sown on the rocky ground, he says it this way: "The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately." he falls away is there ever a place or time that a person could fall away from the faith yes jesus says that is there ever a place or time that we could be tempted to fall away from the faith yes Indeed, it says, listen, if you walk an aisle, if you pray a prayer, if you get baptized, that's not what saves you. The Spirit of God living within you saves you, and you bear it out by the fruits of your work. And listen, if when hard times come, if when testing and trials come, and you fall away, listen, you need to understand, you ought to question, did I ever commit myself to Christ in the first place? That's a question. 
Jesus himself says that many will fall away, corrupted by false teachers and false prophets that have false, false doctrine that will not endure in the times of testing. So the Spirit has said in the past that there would be apostasy. He was saying in Paul's day that there is apostasy in the church. And in our day, through the testimony of Scripture, he is still saying that there will be apostasy. So be warned. And be watching, lest you be one of the ones that falls away, one of the ones who does not love God with their whole heart. We see a warning that comes in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 or verses 12 through 14, when it says, Take care, brothers, that there not be in any of you evil, unbelieving, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Who was that written for? It wasn't written for him or her. It wasn't written for them. It wasn't written for the person three rows back or three rows in front of you. It was written for you. It was written for me. See to it that you do not forsake the faith. Why did he say that? Because there was a, there were temptations which would come that would seek to do it. So were these people saved and merely losing their salvation? No, you can't say that. Why? Because Scripture always interprets Scripture. And we must have the whole counsel of God's Word to bring it to bear upon each and every aspect of doctrine. And we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, that they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. What's John saying? John's simply saying, listen, you need to guard yourselves because if you walk away from Christ, if you walk out away from the faith, you need to understand that is a warning to you. You were never truly saved in the first place. And you need to consider again your salvation and your standing before the living God. These are make-believers. Those who who would be apostates, are people who are make-believers. And yet, uh, Paul is telling us they were elders within the Ephesian church. Some of these were elders within the Ephesian church who had rejected the gospel and gone after a different God. We need to be on guard at all times and at all places. So the next question that comes, and we're going to try to move through this quickly, when will this apostasy happen? When will it happen? Well, it'll happen in the what? In the later days, in the last days, in the later time, in the latter times. Indeed, the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of his redemptive work in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension was the initiation of the last or the later, the latter day. When we find these terms used in the New Testament, it is a clear reference to the church age where we are waiting, watching, and working for the kingdom of God to come in its full glory. First, First John chapter 2, verse 18, immediately before saying, Now listen, those went out from us because they were not truly of us. John writes and he says, Listen, children, this is the last hour. Yet that was 2,000 years ago. It's the last hour. What did he mean? Well, he meant we were living in the church 
change immediately before Jesus Christ comes to redeem his church. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Christ, it says, Christ has appeared in these last times for your sake. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, God in these last days has spoken to us how through his Son, throughout the church age that was initiated with Christ coming until he comes again, there will be some that will fall away. So we should not be surprised. Why? Because the Spirit of God has inspired the Word of God to come and rest before us. And if we read it and comprehend it, we should should not be surprised at those who are falling away but we should be working as Jude reminds us to snatch them from the fire seeing that we ourselves do not get burned now some people will take last days and go well pastor do you think we're living in the very last days can do you have secret knowledge why don't you write a book on it you could be rich The issue here is not when is Jesus coming back, but that Jesus is coming back. And here's the thing. If I were to tell you that this week was the last days, would it change the way that you interacted with your friends and family? Would you get off your seat, go out of the pews, and go and tell the world, Jesus Christ is Lord? That's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. And these are the last days. The last days are simply the time between Jesus ascending back into glory and Him coming from glory to receive His church to Himself. And so that's what we're looking at. The second question that we need to ask ourselves, what will draw them away? What will draw the people away from Christ? Well, they will be people who give themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Have you ever met anybody like that? Anybody that loves to study deceptive and deceitful doctrine look into all sorts of evil things see these teachings are deceitful in the fact that they draw the mind and the heart of the hearer away from the gospel and true salvation and it indicate and the uh, teaching is not just about demons but literally in the greek when you render this uh, verse you've got to come to the place where you understand this isn't just teaching about demons this is teaching by demons These are deceitful doctrines that are dreamt up in the depths of hell to draw people into heresy. That's literally what he's saying. That these are teachings by demons. In other words, Satan and his minions are actively trying to confuse and confound and deceive people within this world so that they are blinded to the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Trying to tell you you can get to heaven any way you want. You live however you want. Do whatever's right in your own eyes. It's okay. You just, you know, it doesn't matter. Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, whatever. No. It matters greatly. Because Jesus Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. First John chapter or second John uh, verses seven through eleven it says this for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lo- lose 
what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. It, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds says, listen, there, there are all kinds of spurious things going on in this world. They're tr- seeking to deter you, to attract you, distract you from the gospel. But listen, do not receive, in, receive any of these college students. Listen, as you go into college, as you are high school students are preparing to go to college, listen to me and listen to me well. There are many things that are seeking to deter you, distract you, and draw your attention away from the gospel and away from the person and work of Jesus Christ, don't give an inch. Be on guard. Why? Because there are all kinds of deceitful doctrines dreamt up by demons to pull you away from the living God. Indeed, these are demonic doctrines and hell's heresies that are designed to draw you out of the kingdom. Acts 17.11, how do we confront this? Acts 17.11 tells us how to confront it when it gives a picture of the Bereans. The Bereans were people who loved God's Word so much so that every day as they received the teaching of God's Word, guess what they did? They walked out the back door and they sat down and they studied God's Word diligently to see whether the things that they had heard were true according to the Word of God. My challenge to you, be good Bereans. Make sure the pastor's preaching what the Word of God says. Don't just sit and listen and check out. Check your mind. Check your brain. You study the Word of God for yourself and see whether what Todd says lines up with what God says. And if it doesn't, go with what God says over what Todd says. Understood? Yes. It is God's Word that guides us into all truth. And so we need to be good Bereans, but what, what will draw them away? The deceitful, and doc, deceitful doctrines and hell's heresies, deceitful doctrines of demons and hell's heresies. But verse 2, we see who will draw them away. And while the source of these false teachings is supernatural, the agents are natural. They are ordinary people. The false teachers are hypocrites and liars who con, whose consciences have been seared, have been cauterized by the fact that their belief and behavior reject God reject God's spirit, reject God's word and reject God's gospel. They have so fully and completely given themselves over to deceit and demonic doctrines. Indeed, they have no guilt or remorse. They may be religious leaders. They may be church leaders. They may be theologians. They may be working all around us. But understand, these are people who wear a mask of piety, wear a mask of religion, wear a mask of spirituality. But in truth, they do not serve the living God, they serve their father, the devil. Indeed, we need to be on guard. Where do we need to be on guard? With preachers, with colleges and teachers, with churches. We need to be on guard. 
looking to God, looking and asking, is this true according to the Word of God? Not receiving man's Word, but taking God's Word. Indeed, this is why I encourage you, don't even go and pick up Rob Bell's latest book, Love Wins. Don't go pick it up. Why? Because in the midst of the text of that book, he denies the truthfulness of Jesus Christ's teaching within this world. When Jesus says hell is a real place, and Rob Bell says, well, there's not really going to be an eternal place of suffering there's not really going to be in hell everybody will in the end love wins listen when rob bell matches up against jesus i'm taking jesus every time i'm not taking the words of men i'm taking the words of god universalism indeed denies Jesus' teachings within this world. We shouldn't say, you say, well, pastor, you're just being mean. You're just being cruel. You're not being loving. I am being loving because I'm pointing out to you the truthfulness of the Scripture instead of a teaching of a mere mortal man. You don't say thank you to the air traffic controller when he tells you in the midst of a, of a, a cloud Uh, just a cloud-soaked sky where you can't see five feet in front of you. You don't say thank you to the air traffic controller that tells you you're flying at 10,000 feet when you're really flying at 2,000 feet and the mountains are 3,000 feet. You don't say thank you to someone who is deceiving you and intending intending, uh, your demise. We don't say thank you to diabolical deceivers that propose demonic doctrines for our demise. Verse 3 continues on. What do they teach? What do these people teach? Well, they talk about secret knowledge. They talk about hierarchy in the levels of spirituality. They're always saying, well, we've got special knowledge. You need to come join our group. Why? Because we know the real secret uh, to spirituality. They want to stress special behaviors and make people spiritual and not religious. They want to make sure that people or make people religious and not spiritual. They want you to join their secret order and so that you will be made right with God. Now, we might expect for this teaching to flat out deny the doctrines of the Trinity, the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or the deity of Jesus Christ. But notice Satan is much more subtle than that. He doesn't name the Trinity, the denial of the Trinity is the next thing in line. He says, listen, these guys are seeking to deceive you. How are they seeking to deceive you? With the doctrines of demons. And what are those doctrines? Men who forbid marriage. An advocate abstaining from food. Well, listen, if you really want to be spiritual, don't get married. Have you ever heard the Catholic Church teach that? Hey, priests, you want to be a priest? You need to be special. How do you be special? Don't get married. Denies. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Explicitly rejects what God's Word says. Indeed. We understand that these, uh, these uh, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food, the focus was on the exter- external uh, stuff and not the internal soul. They had a workspace salvation from animism of the primitive tribes all the way to the sophisticated world religions of our country. Men love to rely on what they can do instead of what Jesus Christ has done and that works Every time. 
How do I get closer to God? Well, you do X, Y, and Z. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Instead of simply giving them the gospel. You know how you grow closer to God? It's not by what you can do. It is by what He has done on the cross of Calvary. Gospel doesn't teach you how you can make yourself right with God, how you can uh, increase your value. It doesn't say get married so that you can uh, so that you can then be right. It doesn't say that well you need to have a second filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in tongues before you can be saved. None of these things are biblical. All of them are extra biblical, and we need to understand that Christ plus anything equals heresy. Christ plus anything equals heresy. Good works, outward ritual, self-denial, these do not replace repentance, faith, and humility and humble submission to God. Ascetic monks years ago uh, thought that spirit, whatever was spirit was good and whatever was flesh was bad. In fact, in such a w- real way that Simon, Simeon the stylite uh, spent 37 years up a pole. Proving how much he loved Jesus. 37 years. I thought he told us to go into the ends of the earth and to make disciples. And here you are on a pole by yourself. What's wrong with you? He didn't understand. He thought he could make himself pure instead of live in the purity of Christ. One fourth century monk was so famous uh, for his ascetic lifestyle. In fact, he didn't think he thought it made him more holy that if he did not wash or clean himself at all, if he in no way took care of his flesh, so much so that he was famous for when he would get up and walk down the street, vermin would fall in the ground, on the ground out of his clothes. Doesn't he love Jesus? What? Has nothing to do with whether you love Jesus. It's not about external show. It's about internal heart. External stuff never replaces the eternal Savior of God. We don't earn salvation. We receive salvation as a free gift. And some are slip sliding away as they replace God's salvation with man's religion and man's spirituality. The problem in our age, in these last days, is apostasy. But secondly, there is a perspective in which we are to live, which would help us in these last days. What is the right perspective for the last days? It is an attitude of thankfulness and prayer. Paul turns the notions of the apostate on their head as he launches into the perspective in which the Christian should live. The fundamental error of such teaching is that it rejects divine revelation. Indeed, all false teaching at its core is a denial of God's word in revelation and God's work in creation. All false teaching at its core is a denial of God's word in revelation and God's work in creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, when God finished created the heavens and the earth, he stepped back and he looked and what did he say? It is very good. What a blessing. Everything that he had created was exactly 
exactly as he had ordered, exactly as he purposed, exactly as he had intended. Indeed, contrary to the flawed teachings of the false teachers, God created marriage and food to be gratefully enjoyed and shared by those who believe and know the truth. Why then would we deny these things to men if, if they were created by God, sanctified by God, and blessed by God for our enjoyment and his glory? If we know love and worship God in spirit and in truth, we should rejoice and revel in his gracious goodness to provide a helpmate that is complementary to ourselves and food that nourishes, strengthens, and sustains our bodies for his service. The false teachers of Paul's day and our day as well flat out reject the goodness, order, and purpose of God's creation when they offer super spiritual status to those that refuse the good and gracious gifts of God in his divine design by gratefully receiving these gifts from God with thanksgiving our hearts worship our creator as we enjoy the fruits of his labors indeed Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says for from him through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen let me ask you this morning are you living in the pleasure of God you worshiping him in spirit and in truth rejoicing in his good and gracious gifts. See, Paul says that good, the good gifts of the Creator are sanctified. They are set apart as holy through the Word of God. In other words, when God in the beginning said, it is good, it is very good, that is the blessing of God. But second of all, they are set apart and made holy by our prayer, our prayer of thankfulness to God for everything that we see, touch, and receive. And we understand that when we see, touch, and receive anything and view it as a blessing from God and receive it with a prayer of thanksgiving, we are setting it apart as holy. We understand we are not, uh, we are not making much of the gift, but rather we are making much of the giver. We are not making much of the creature. We are making much of the creator. We are not making much of creation. We are making everything about the creator, God himself. Indeed, we don't pray in order to bless the things that violate his clear commands. God, won't you bless me while I go have sex with my girlfriend? How ridiculous is that? God, won't you bless me while I go sit down at my computer and look at pornography all afternoon? God, won't you bless me while I eat this pizza that's absolutely terrible for me? No, I'm kidding. God, won't you bless me as I steal money from other people? That's not right. What he's saying is when we see the things that God has, by his grace and his goodness, provided for us, we are to bless God for every good thing he has given us. We pray to turn our eyes and our hearts heavenward as we revel in God's blessing. Indeed, the proper perspective in which we receive the blessings of God in all things is thankfulness and prayer. In other words, we should see all of creation as purposeful to behold the Creator and to respond rightly in worship. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Tuesday morning when I get my shoes on and get dressed and get to the Augusta National Golf Course and step out there and look at the beauty that is, that is there to behold because they have unlimited time, money, and fertilizer to put on a piece of property. It's going to be glorious. 
But you know what? I'm not going to look at it and say, well, isn't that beautiful? I'm glad that azalea bush created itself for me to see. I'm going to thank God for the creation that He has given When we enjoy a morning sunrise over the Atlantic and an evening sunset over the Pacific, when we gaze at mountain grandeur and the glory of the plains, when we fill ourselves on the bounty of the harvest and sip from a refreshing stream of water, when we are blessed by the beauty of our maid and behold the blessings of marriage, surely we should give God all the praise, honor, and glory. We ought to give God the best of what we have. Praising Him and glorifying Him in all things. Indeed, what's your perspective on life? Is your life a dull doldrum of do's and don'ts? Or is your life a delight because you live in the knowledge of your Creator God and what He intended for you to be? You live in the blessings that He has given to us? One of the ways in which the world can see and know our Creator is through the way we interact with Him. When we look around our lives, we need to look at our lives and look and see the blessings that God has given. We need to understand that we, even in times of trial, need to affirm God's goodness and thank Him for His many blessings. A number of years ago, a magazine editor uh, whose life was saved by a kidney transplant, commented on the difference between his attitude before and after his surgery. Instead of living life to the fullest, I used to let myself be bothered by things which I just laugh at today. It never occurred to me then to enjoy the coming of spring. A cool drink of water on a hot day. Eating good food and all the things that normally we don't notice but let pass by. See, we are tempted to be apostates, to slip and slide away from God when we stop looking at things in this world according to God's perspective and start seeing them according to our perspective. So this morning, let's commit ourselves to God's truth as revealed in His Word. Let's commit ourselves to holding fast to His commands. Let's enjoy God and make much of His good and gracious gifts that He has given to us. This morning, let us most importantly see our sin, where we fall short, where we are out of line, and see God's Savior and submit ourselves to Him and to Him alone. Father, as we come in this time, Father, we pray that You would turn our eyes from this earth to Your eternal.